You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season 11, episode 10. Music, perhaps more than any other art form, has the ability to transport the listener into an entirely other world, sculpting our emotions and creating experiences through sound, melody, and rhythm. Music in this way seems to transcend even the intent of the writer and welcomes the listener as a participant in the creative process. Today on the podcast, I have the honor of introducing you to an artist whose atmospheric compositions carries this transportive ability. Juliana Barwick is a Los Angeles-based composer, vocalist, and producer who makes deep, reflective compositions rooted in the human voice. Over the years, she has made six critically acclaimed records as well as contributed her sound to the world of film scoring. Her self-released debut, Sanguine, came out in 2007, followed by Florine in 2009 and The Magic Place in 2011. Her 2013 release, Nepenthe, is an album which marks her first steps in collaborating, working with producer and film composer Alex Summers and Reykjavik Iceland. In 2020, Juliana released her album, Healing is a Miracle, which features notable artist Yonzi of Sigaross and earned Pitchfork's coveted Best New Music. In today's episode, Juliana talks with me about her experiences growing up in Louisiana, singing in choirs, and the development of her experimental soundscapes. Patrons of the podcast can enjoy an exclusive interview segment with Juliana at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. Thank you so much for listening. This is my interview with vocalist and composer, Juliana Barwick. Juliana, thank you so much for joining me today on the Makers and Mystics podcast. I've been a fan of your work for a number of years. And so to get the opportunity to sit down with you and talk about your creative process, some of the motivations behind your work, it's a real honor. So thanks for being here with me. Thanks for having me. I know we've been trying to get together for a while, so. Yes, well, I'm persistent, so. (laughs) It's great to be here. Well, you know, one reason that I was interested in having you on the show during this season of the podcast is because we've been talking about art and the urge for transcendence. Mm -hmm. And when I think of your music, the ghostly or choir-like, even cinematic nature of your work, it seems to lend itself, at least to my ear, to this experience of elevating the listener beyond the ordinary into a magical place. That's the way I would describe it, you know? And so I'm really curious to know if this is something you've consciously sought in the development of your sound, or if this is something that you just stumbled into along the way, you know, this choir-like, otherworldly sound that you have. Yeah, I would I would definitely say stumbling is an accurate <laughs> verb, but um yeah, I mean it's also really informed by so many things from growing up also. But I kind of feel like I got to where I really enjoyed making music in like 2005 or something and I borrowed a little 
guitar effects pedal that had like a loop <laughs> feature that wasn't even like, you know, the thing that it really was. It was more like, I think it was called a Digitech or something like that. And if you held the pedal down, it looped. And suddenly my, you know, failed aspirations to be the new cat power kind of just like fell away and um, it was just so spontaneous and fun to record mm -hmm. that way, um, just to loop and layer and do it in the moment. And then, you know, speaking of transcendence, you're just kind of like taken out of the moment and it's not laborious or grueling or, you know, I'm not worrying about what words to say. It was just this kind of like sound that was created in the moment and kind of driven just by pure emotion or however I was feeling in the moment. Mm -hmm. So all very like visceral and appealed to me because, you know, I, I, I just was never going to be a singer songwriter. I just, it just didn't fit. Mm -hmm. I, you know, really didn't, feel like I was a good writer and it just felt wrong. And then all of a sudden when I was looping, it was like, oh my gosh, this is fun. <laughs> and was hooked ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was one of my curiosities about your work because I know that it's so vocally driven, but also very electronic, a lot of loops, a lot of layers. I was curious how that came about in the development of your sound, you know, if the vocals came first or if they kind of grew together. How, how did that begin with you? It definitely was vocal driven from the start. I've always loved to play around with my voice and reverb, whether it be, you know, artificial or not. I mean, from early childhood, I would always find places like these reverberant spaces where I would just sing whatever, you know, I'd make up stuff or sing stuff I knew as a little kid parking garages, you know, church auditoriums, like anywhere I could sing where it was echoey. I loved it. And so then, you know, by the time I started kind of messing around with four track or whatever, I, you know, found pedals that would make my voice echoey, you know, and it's just been, it's just my favorite thing. And yeah, I mean, as far as like the music that I produce and perform and you know, just like my identity and my world, it's heavily reliant on electricity and machines, <laughs> you know, because yes. I'm like creating those spaces, you know, with a, with a pedal. Um, yes. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that was kind of the way it went from childhood into my mid twenties, whenever I kind of, when everything kind of clicked as far as recording stuff. So it sounds like a lot of your creative journey is a journey of discovery, a lot of self-taught experimentation, just whatever interests you following, you know, following that spark, so to speak. Are you trained professionally in vocally or did you just decide from childhood, I wanna sing and let's see where this goes? 
a bit of both. I'm not like, I wouldn't say I'm like classically trained, but you know, I grew up just singing all the time. I remember my sister used to get so mad at me, you know, because I would like <laughs> harmonize with the radio. And she's like, don't harmonize with the radio. <laughs> um, but I was like always singing. And my mom was always singing too. So that's kind of, that's where I got it. You know, she has a beautiful voice and she'd always be singing around the house. In our church that we grew up in, Church of Christ in Louisiana, it's acapella only. No instruments allowed. So it's like, wow. The congregation sings together as uh, in acapella and with no instruments. So you're just like occasionally like clapping or snapping or something you know but that's it so that's what I grew up hearing we went I went to church like three times a week my dad worked for the church so I was there constantly even when you know he just went to work and sometimes I was with him and I would sing to myself in an auditorium and you know and grew up listening to this group of people sing these hymns that some of them are so I mean that's where it started for me these hymns that are beautiful and sad so Mm -hmm. that's kind of like my favorite musical combination of all time and it's my favorite music to make I just remember being very moved by music as a kid even by I would make myself cry I would find somewhere and I'd (laughs) sing a song and make it up and just tears would roll down my face you know music that kind of thing moved me from being a teeny tiny little kid and then like starting in an elementary school I was in choirs so I was in choirs at school from elementary school all, all the way through high school and in high school I started taking private voice lessons and she had me audition for uh, an opera chorus. So after high school in Tulsa I was in an opera chorus for a little while. So kind of got a taste of what that's like. And all the while like in high school and into college I had my little Fostex four track. I always had my upright piano that my grandparents gave us that was in the house by the time I was born, you know, and it's in my house now, which is great. You know, I was always kind of like tinkering around with stuff and like teaching myself stuff from soundtracks, Mm -hmm. like deeply obsessed with soundtracks from the time I was a kid and teaching myself by ear those things on the piano and stuff but yeah I mean by the time I moved to New York and was finishing up college there I I just I didn't want to do music in school so that's kind of where the learning music stopped because I never wanted it to be a drag I never wanted Mm -hmm. to dread any kind of music anything so I did darkroom photography instead but kept doing my weirdo stuff at home (laughs) by myself (laughs) yes and then eventually like put it on MySpace in 2005 or whatever. MySpace. Yeah. I haven't heard that word in a long time. Yeah, I just, yes. I just uh, <laughs> you know, showed how old I am. <laughs> wow, this is great. We're talking about MySpace, Fostex, GarageBand. Oh, yeah. This is amazing. Oh, yeah. I guess it was asleep that night, was waiting for 
I'd be curious how much visuals influence the music that you write. Do you find that when you watch a movie or even if you're walking through the park and, and you see a particular scene, uh, maybe a, a man on a park bench, you know, something just in everyday life, do you find that other senses, whether it's the visual, seeing something or just other art forms, visual art, do you find that those other things feed into the music that you're making? Is that something that, that you experience? You know, honestly, I mean, I've been asked this before because, you know, I, I'm like a photo major, you know, mm -hmm. so that link, you would kind of think that maybe that there's a link there. But honestly, it's really not visually driven at all. Mm -hmm. I Interesting. Mean, of course, you know, I'm moved by art. I'm moved by film. I'm totally moved by nature. So, you know, that probably like, you know, subconsciously trickles in when I'm making music because I've been moved by those things. But like during like the actual creation of music, it's it's kind of just pure emotion and tapping into this like weird nebulous world where it's you know mm -hmm. my most of my music is wordless it's just it kind of happens as it's happening it's I'm yes. recording it as it's happening and it's just very much emotionally driven yeah and like whatever's going on in my life or you know has happened memories and things like that but and I, and I mean I've heard many times that people are like very visual when they record music and I'm just not I'm just not it's not a thing that really lines up in that way how much of your music is spontaneous then? It sounds like you are on a journey of discovery even as you're writing the music that you're making. When you go to record, how much of that is pre-written and how much of that are you just capturing in the moment? Zero pre-written ever. I don't know how wow, to do that. Wow, is that right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. You know, I learned sheet music you know, from the time I was in choirs and I learned how to play clarinet when I was in elementary school. But, you know, <laughs> as far as like writing music ahead of time, I just, that's just not how it works for me. And that is why when the looping thing kind of clicked, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, wow, this, this is how I do it. This is yes. what, this is, this is fun for me. This isn't like, oh, what am I going to write about? I'm going to write about, a, you know, a guy I just broke up with or something, <laughs> you know, it, that's what the looping like lent itself to is just this like spontaneous in the moment, whatever was happening kind of vibe. Wow, that puts everything in a whole new light for me, thinking back over your songs and everything that I've listened to, that we're really hearing a moment that you've captured. That's beautiful. Yeah, and I mean, even when I went to Iceland with Alex, you know, he, he's produced a 
bunch of records and of course people would come and they would have demos and they would work those out and he said do you have demos and I was like no I definitely <laughs> don't and that's like, amazing he's like you're gonna make everything here and I was like absolutely I'm in Iceland like I want this record to sound like my time yeah. here you know and I want to be like kind of just like a conduit of like the wow. experience into the music you know so mm -hmm. I mean even when I'm doing scoring work I just either plug in my vocal looper or pedal mess around with effects or sit down at my piano and just watch the scene and whatever the scene feels like is what the music sounds like a follow-up question then would be, you know, once you've captured this moment, what is your relationship to developing the work in post, you know, because I know, for instance, as an example, if I wrote a poem and, you know, sometimes you just get in the flow, you get in that zone and it's like it just drops in your lap, you know, and it just comes out of the sky. You've got this whole poem from start to finish. Mm -hmm. It's almost like I don't want to touch it, yeah. you know, and then other times I'm like, well, I want to go back and refine this. How can I make it, you know, because they're two different mindsets, you know, you're kind of in that creative flow space where whatever's coming out is coming out, but then the editorial brain mm -hmm. comes in there and like, you know, and sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes maybe it's not, but what's your relationship with your music after you've recorded it? Well, I mean, I'm always or often recording other instruments over something I've made in the moment. I mean, I'm thinking of like in spirit um, in particular, which is the first song off of Healing is a Miracle. That song was literally me, you know, plugging in my vocal effects pedal pressing a bunch of buttons and and like that crazy gospely reverby you know strange setting i just hit record and sang that part and then you know, was like, what does this song need? This song needs some crazy thunderous bass. And went in and recorded that over it, you know? So, and you know, I'm, I'm doing that with nearly every song. I'm like, you know, slicing and dicing a little bit, recording something else over it. So it does get like mathy eventually but that element of like spontaneity is at, in is at the root of it i would say your titles in spirit, healing is a miracle, Nepenthe, all of these titles 
are very intentional. They at least come across as these very well thought out, well developed titles that have a meaning and an intention behind them. So I'm curious, is the meaning of a song something that you discover after you go back and listen to it and you say, what is this song trying to express? Or is it something that you kind of come to the table with from the beginning? Maybe it's a little bit of both, depending. Uh, because we're talking about the element of spontaneity in your music, mm -hmm. but then there, there also is very much an intentionality that I sense within your music as well. So I'm curious where that part of the process comes in. Yeah. I mean, definitely when I'm recording, there's a the feeling. But as far as like titling goes, that has always been like the very last thing, even like sometimes after album artwork. And I'm like, well, now I really got to title everything, <laughs> you know, it's time. Yes. So for instance, with Nepenthe and other records, I would listen to the song again and see how it made me feel and and think of a phrase or think of a word. And I many times have pulled up a thesaurus, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like, <laughs> yes. like I, I specifically remember like with prize winning on the magic place, I was like, this feels like triumphant, you know, like mm -hmm. this feels like a win. And, you know, handy little thesaurus was like prize winning. I was like, that's, that's it. That's perfect. Yes. So most of the time it's, it goes like that. With healing is a miracle, it's funny because that phrase came to me at some point. It might have been 2019 or before that, a little bit before that. So before I even started making the record, I had this phrase that I loved. And I was like, I think that's going to be the name of the next record. Mm -hmm. I just liked the kind of like sort of weirdness of the phrase you know, like um, there's a track on Nepenthe, Adventure of the Family, which was just like a phrase I liked for like years before I made that record. So Healing is a Miracle was kind of like that. Yeah. So most of the time it's, you know, making the music and then sitting down and making it words, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Making yes, it like yes. a thing that to call it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, speaking of that album, Healing is a Miracle, I noticed that you released this in the infamous 2020. Oh, yeah. Did you release this pre-pandemic or was this after the world turned upside down? After the world turned upside down, yeah. So did that influence your process at all? Not really. I mean, I was having everything mixed and mastered by Heba Kadri at the end of 2019 and had titled it Healing is a Miracle, not knowing That's, what I know. I, I wanted to comment on that. <laughs> not having any idea what was right around the corner. Yes. Yeah. So like by January, we definitely had everything mixed and mastered. And it was just on the schedule to come out July 2020. 
And I talked with Ninja Tune. We're like, should we delay it? What should we do? And I was just kind of like, this seems unpredictable. And <laughs> I need something to do, even if it does, even if it means I can't tour or anything. Yeah. Like, I needed something to do. And and when it came out in July, it was really great because. I was still doing a lot of like email-y things and interviewee mm-hmm. things. And that just like helped my brain from atrophying because that was what month, March, April, May, June. But that was like the fifth month of weirdness. Yes. So it was helpful <laughs> to kind of, you know, ground me a little bit in that like sh- yeah. absolutely strange year. <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, there's you. There's you. A song title: "The Fifth Month of Weirdness." I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And we're in what month now? Yeah. Of weirdness. <laughs> the forty seventh month of weirdness, right? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> remember when we were all like, "This will be done by summer, probably." Oh, I I do remember that. Yes, I do. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that is fascinating, and I love I love that. I I wanted to ask you, it's like. Healing is a miracle. It came out in 2020. I was like, she probably had no idea what mm. was going on here, but I was curious to know that. But one question I wanted to ask you, you know, we talked briefly about you grew up in Louisiana, so represent. I'm here in North Carolina. Yeah. You said before the call you're like this guy's from the south. I was like, mm-hmm. I thought that I had that well tucked. No. <laughs> uh. No, but Takes one to know. That's right. That's right. But you talked about growing up in the South, but then I know that you moved to New York and you spent a, a period of time in New York City. Mm-hmm. Then you traveled to Iceland. You spent some time recording in Iceland. And I love what you said earlier. You know, I, I wanted the album to sound like Iceland. Totally. And now, yeah, and now you're in LA. Mm-hmm. So all of these geographically come with their own environment and come with, you know, their own personality and character. I'm curious how much of that influences your songwriting or influences the music that you're making and if that's a conscious thing or if that's just an unconscious thing for you. I mean, environment absolutely affects the record. You know, I when I, well, not that I listen to my own music, but if I <laughs> listened to Nepenthe, it would take me immediately back to those kind of gray, drizzly mornings when I was walking to Alex's house in the morning, you know, and the, just the feeling of it. Yes. Um, you know, Iceland's a magical, magical place, and you can't help but be moved by what you mm-hmm. see there. Even if you're just in Reykjavik, it's just it's just so lovely. And so that that was kind of what, you know, it took a while for that record to come out and it came out in August and I was like, this is the wrong month for this record to come out, but it's okay. It's it's time, you know. It's been done for mm-hmm. a year and a half and needs to come out. Um but like with Will that came out in 2016, I recorded that in 2015 and some of it was at my friend's house in upstate New York in February where I was heating the house with a wood burning stove and like trying not to let the pipes freeze 
you know? And I was by myself, like no car, no nothing. So that was interesting psychologically, you know? So of course that went into some of those songs. And then fast forward to, I think like September later that year in 2015, I recorded a bunch of Will in Lisbon, Portugal, you know, this absolutely stunning, gorgeous, sunny place with lots of happy memories, life-changing memories, you know? Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, like environment is, yeah, kind of everything in a way. Environment and emotion and memory. When I listen to your music, you know, I find that it creates a lot of space for reflection. It's beautiful music to put on when I'm doing some writing and in my own creative space. I'm curious, what are some of the responses you get from other people? Is is this something you hear a lot that people are curious like, is this music an intentionally meditative sound? Is this something that the type of space you're trying to create? Or is that part of the discovery that, that when you hear people's response to it, it's almost telling for you as well? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely that part of it. Mm-hmm. Because nothing, nothing is intentional when I make music. I'm not, you know, going, I want this to feel like this for people Mm -hmm. it's like it's just expression i don't know how else to really say it it's just kind of like in the moment expression um yeah i'm not really trying to create a specific world or feeling or anything it's just it's a capture of whatever's going on really i mean i know i just went on and on about how environment is key in a lot of ways but at the same time I've made a lot of music in hotel rooms or you know like my bedroom in Brooklyn you know or my bedroom in Los Angeles you know without like the beauty of Lisbon outside the door or the window or something you know so it's like it's kind of a bit of both you know and it's just all filtering through yeah well, there's two bands that I want to bring up just for my own personal discovery okay. to know if you're familiar with these acts and what your thoughts are on them. One is the Bulgarian state radio and television uh, female vocal choir. Are you familiar? No. I mean, I, I'm familiar with the Bulgarian women's choirs that you always hear, um, but not this one in particular. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, this one has been transformative for me for years and years. Maybe I'll send you a link to it. I'll email you a link to it so you can see them. But yeah, um, I hear an uncanny familiarity in your music to some of the Bulgarian women's choirs. And I was curious if that might be an inspiration to you. And then the other act is uh, Dead Can Dance. And I don't know if you're familiar with Dead Can Dance and Lisa Gerard. Mm -hmm. I've loved Dead Can Dance for a number of years. And one of the beautiful things that I find a similarity with your work and hers 
is she doesn't often sing in a known language. Right. Lisa Gerard from Dead Can Dance, she just sings in tongues or she sings melodies of made up languages or she just sings whatever comes out. And I know that you you have lyrics that you're that you've written out in some of your music, but a lot of your music um, is that free form melody, you know? And so uh, I was just curious about that aspect of your music and if Dead Can Dance or the Bulgarian State Radio had, had any inspiration for you. Bulgarian State Radio, I don't know. And I listened to a lot of Dead Can Dance in high school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've heard about her non-use of, you know, <laughs> you know, like actual songwriting, I guess you would call it, or, you know, like Elizabeth Fraser too from Cocteau Twins, you know, there's like actual memes about like, (laughs) what am (laughs) I listening to? Like, what is she saying? You know? And, um, I grew up listening to a lot of music like that. You know, I grew up listening to a lot of Inya, you know, and there's some like, old school like Gaelic and stuff that she's using that I had no idea what it meant, but the effect on my soul was like, you know, there no matter what. Same as Mm -hmm. like with Sigaros or any groups or musicians where I don't know their language, you know. I know that Yonzi records and Icelandic and English, but I think sometimes he does do it just sounds. We've talked about that. Mm-hmm. Just like kind of sounds, whatever sounds come out, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's a that's most of my stuff. Yeah. And even when there are lyrics, I feel like they're kind of also recorded in the moment. So sometimes they don't really make much sense, you know? Mm-hmm. I can't I can't remember. It wasn't like Paul McCartney, when he recorded yesterday, it was like scrambled eggs or something like that. (laughs) Like he just put in a word. But yeah, that's kind of how most of my stuff is recorded. It's just kind of sounds that are emotional. Well, Juliana, thank you so much for taking this time to talk with me today on the Makers and Mystics podcast. Thanks for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This episode was produced by me, Stephen Roach. Be sure to give us a follow on Instagram at Makers and Mystics and leave us a kind review on Apple Podcast. If you'd like to go deeper into these conversations and join a community of like-minded artists, follow the link in the show notes of this episode or visit patreon.com slash makersandmystics. We'll see you again next week. And until then, keep creating. The world needs your art. Mm